in nothing be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 Dear God, today I make a conscious decision to shift my focus from the problem to the provider. I know that whatever I focus on gets magnified. It grows bigger and bigger in my life. So I will not focus on my problems or my difficulties, but on the one who has all the solutions. I will focus on your goodness, your faithfulness, your love for me. Instead of worrying about anything, I will come to you about everything. I will come to you in prayer with thanksgiving. As I do this, I know I will experience your peace. Lord, I want to be filled with that peace today. Peace that is too wonderful for me to understand. It's a supernatural peace that doesn't depend on my circumstances. It can't be shaken or taken from me. It is a gift from you. As I pray, I remember all the times you have come through for me. All the times you've protected me and provided for me. It gives me courage and confidence as I wait to see what you will do. My hope and my trust is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me today. Stay tuned to immerse yourself in the greatest stories ever told from Pray.com's podcast, Heroes in the Bible. Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co-founder of Pray.com. And before we start today's episode of Heroes in the Bible, I wanted to ask, do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at americaschristiancu.com forward slash pray. Plus, the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Hi, I'm Dr. Tony Evans, your host for Heroes in the Bible. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, please share it with your family and friends and help us spread God's word. Welcome to the epic adventure of David, a story of honor, battle, jealousy, darkness, friendship, love, scandal, and murder. While most people know of David the myth, few know about David the man. I'm glad you're here with me as we mine the depths of this renowned tale. In this episode, Saul receives a second chance. He is given the opportunity to avenge God's people and right a past wrong. Will Saul be up to the challenge, or will he crumble under the weight of his own ego? This particular episode is short, but incredibly dark. Saul goes on a bloody conquest in search of glory, but only finds more disappointment and sadness at the end. His vain grasp at grandeur leave him empty, alone, and devoid of God's favor. You may be wondering at this point in the story about David. Where is he? Why haven't we seen him yet? This series is not supposed to be about Saul. So why have we heard so much about him? 
These are fair questions to ask, and you won't need to ask them for much longer. Saul's spiraling descent sets the stage for David to enter. But make no mistake, Saul isn't going anywhere. For better or worse, Saul will remain in this story for a long time. He is a walking reminder of the pitfalls of pride. We should be careful to not shoo him away too quickly. We need him as a reminder that there's only one heartache for us when we succumb to pride and anxiety. Take a different posture when you listen to this episode. Instead of judging Saul, look at him as if you were looking into a mirror. Look at where your own ego has led you astray. Then look to Jesus for a way back. Saul isn't going to be quite as introspective. But first, we begin with a prelude, a story from another space and time conveying the same message. This prelude is more than just a parallel story, though. This prelude is the beginning of a long-standing grudge God holds against a certain nation. Let's listen to episode four together, A Rejected King. Prelude to chapter four. The sweet taste of freedom was on the lips of Israel. God had delivered them out of the grips of slavery and into the fresh air of liberation. They basked in the glory of their Savior and cheered at the hope of a new land flowing with milk and honey. The people of God were a nation of former slaves freed from captivity. They had no weapons or military might. However, they did have the wealth that was taken from Egypt. They had gold and livestock. The Amalekites, who lived east of Egypt, prowled like lions in the reeds, ready to pounce. When the people were at their most vulnerable, the Amalekites attacked. They raided God's people from the rear and picked apart their elderly and children. They stole Israel's wealth and took some of their women as slaves. Children were taken from their parents and either killed or enslaved. The men were struck down and made a mockery of. Having taken advantage of the weary people of Israel, the Amalekites fled back into the wilderness. They left God's people even more vulnerable and helpless than they already were. This God would not forget. He made a promise to his people after that. The Lord declared through the mouth of Moses, Remember what Amalek did to you on the ways as you were fleeing Egypt. Remember how he met you on the way and attacked you. Stragglers were struck down and the children were attacked. Amalek does not fear God. Therefore, it shall be, when the Lord your God has established you in the promised land, I will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. I will avenge you, and you shall never forget my faithfulness. Chapter 4 A Rejected King Blood poured forth like rain bursting from the clouds. Saul's once glimmering golden armor was now drenched in scarlet as his sword fell on yet another enemy. His veracity in battle had only increased since his last encounter with the Philistines. He was bent on proving his worth as king. The battlefield was laced with the bodies of dead Moabites. To Saul's pleasure, he had cut down the raiders who had attacked the storehouses at Jericho. His large chest raised up and down with his heavy breathing. He was pleased with himself for defending his kingdom, but not satisfied with just one victory. Saul's broad shoulders carried the weight of Israel's safety. It was a heavy burden, 
Yet he was determined to bear it alone. He raged against every nation that came against them. Saul then took his army to the Ammonites. They had raided the borders of Israel near Jerash for years, and the people were growing weary. Saul marched up against them to strike them at their heels. The battle was arduous and painful. However, Saul continued to press in with force. He marched at the front of the battle, making it known that he was the king of Israel. He wanted to make his name known among the nations. He wanted the other kings to tremble in fear when they saw him ride. He did the same to the Edomites and the kings of Zobah. Saul slashed at their armies, wounding them but not striking them down completely. For all his striving, he was able to defend his country, but conquest eluded him. Saul became obsessed with war. It consumed his thoughts day and night. Israel was surrounded by enemies on almost every side, and Saul felt the incredible pressure of protecting the people and making his kingdom great. However, the stroke of Saul's sword was broad but shallow. Because Saul was not a man after God's own heart, and because his own relationship with God was more about image than substance, his kingdom would not expand. Everything he sought to conquer seemed to fall short of the ultimate glory he was searching for. The lack of complete victory left him with an ache in his heart he could not mend. After his battle with the Edomites, Saul retreated to his fortress in Gibeah. The palace halls were arrayed with tapestries telling of his greatest battles. Silver lampstands stood tall around the perimeter of his throne room. His throne was finely carved out of cedar and draped in fine furs and hand-woven purple blankets. Saul rested back on his throne, staring blankly at the large fire burning in the middle of the hall. Its flames were enchanting, filling up the room with heat. Saul's body was weary from months of battle, but his mind was racing and unable to rest. He had successfully staved off enemy attacks, amassed a large army to contend with surrounding nations, and sired children who were successful in battle. Yet happiness eluded him. He slouched back in his throne like a defeated man. He longed for purpose beyond battle. He longed for the voice of God. As Saul brooded over the fire, the doors of the throne room creaked open. Light from outside came through, and a silhouetted figure entered in. Saul sat up in his throne and watched the hooded figure limp forward. He recognized the staff in the man's hands. The cloaked man sat by the fire and gestured for Saul to come forward. Saul left his throne and bent a knee to the man. He removed his hood. It was Samuel. Saul grabbed Samuel's robe and pressed his face against it. The large king knelt before the old priest in silence. Samuel said nothing. He simply placed his hand on the king's head. Saul, unable to control himself, burst into tears. The sound of his sobs filled the halls and echoed through the palace. He clung to Samuel tightly. Samuel looked down at Saul with great pity. He knew that the removal of God's favor was torture for the first king of Israel. For years, he had marched without the power of God's spirit. His heart was growing weary and faint. You are still king of Israel, are you not? Samuel said. Hearing Samuel's voice again was like fresh water to Saul. The king nodded in silence. Samuel continued, saying, The Lord has sent me to anoint you for his next battle. The people of Amalek have raged against Israel for generations. 
Thus says the Lord, I will punish Amalek for what they did to Israel long ago when they were fleeing from Egypt. They ambushed Israel and took advantage of the weakened people who had just fled from slavery. Now go and attack the Amalekites. Destroy them all and spare no one and take no spoil of war. Saul looked up at Samuel. This was his chance to redeem himself. The Lord had given him a task, and he was determined to see it through. Saul kissed Samuel's hand in reverence, bowed, and stood up to amass his army. Two hundred thousand men stood armed and ready behind their king. The sun had risen over the valleys of Telaim. Saul's armor glimmered in the sun, bursting with color and glory. He sent messengers to the Kenites, who lived on the border of the Amalekite land. He warned them that the armies of Israel were prepared to fight, and that they should flee quickly, since no one would be spared. The messenger snuck into the village and said, Depart from the land, quickly! Your people showed kindness to our ancestors when they came out of Egypt. Flee and save yourselves. So the Kenites did as they were told. Saul's mercy towards the Kenites made him even more beloved among his men. Once they had fled, Saul raised his sword high in the air. His strong arm gave hope to the men behind him. They roared like mighty waves. Saul swung his sword forward, gesturing for them to advance. Together, 200,000 of them marched upon the city of Havilah. The men marched with spears and swords, ready to ambush the Amalekites and enact vengeance for the years of cruelty. However, they would not be conquered so easily. Agag, the Amalekite king, had caught wind of their ambush early enough to call his troops to the north gates. They waited there for the Israelites to break through. However, Saul was already a step ahead of Agag. He had half of his army break to the left around to the western border. Before Agag could rally enough men to the other side, Saul was able to strike. The armies of Israel burst forth like a tidal wave on the cities of the Amalekites. From Havilah all the way to Shur, God's people utterly destroyed the oppressors of the east. In all his years of striving, Saul had never experienced such a conquest. He watched as the Amalekite people quivered in fear at the sight of him. They knew his name and they knew his sword. Saul basked in the glory, burning down the Amalekite cities and reducing them to ashes. He led a company of his men through the streets of Havilah. They burst through the gates of Agag's palace and cut down the guards with ease. Saul marched forward with fire in his belly. With his massive leg, he kicked open the door of Agag's estate. The door frayed into pieces. The king slowly walked forward to see Agag and his men armed and ready in the middle of the palace halls. Agag's men took the first step forward and attacked. Saul's men retaliated swiftly, disarming them and pinning them to the wall with their own spears. King Agag gripped his sword tightly. His eyes were filled with hatred, not fear. He advanced towards Saul, going straight for the neck. Saul parried the attack and returned with a slash of his sword to the ankles. Agag fell to the floor, and Saul pressed his sword against the king's neck. Agag looked up and laughed. <laughs> so you are Israel's ruler? A peasant king for a peasant people! He scoffed. Saul kicked Agag in the jaw, sending him to the floor. Agag simply laughed more and wiped his chin. <laughs> you have conquered my city, but do not think that makes you a king. He spat in Saul's direction. Your stench of a country 
will burn under a mightier and more noble army. You and your god will be forgotten. Saul leaned down and grabbed Agag by the hair. He lifted him up to eye level and said, You will know my glory, Agag. You will see it expand before your very eyes. He threw the Amalekite king onto the floor and gestured to his men. Bind the king with rope. Then take all his wealth. Take the wealth of the city, the sheep, the oxen, and the calves. I want Agag to watch as I take everything he and his ancestors have worked for. I want him to watch my glory expand at his expense. The men did as they were told, and Saul took Agag and the spoils of war back to Israel. Saul entered in on a stolen chariot, and the people of Israel cheered. They sang songs in the streets to him and chanted his name. Saul basked in the glory of his conquest. He paraded Agag around like an animal on ropes. The people laughed and rejoiced in the gold, silver, and livestock that Saul had taken. Finally, they had a kingdom that could conquer other kingdoms. Finally, they had a conquering king who would bring their nation into glory. Saul beamed with pride and led Agag and the spoils of war back to his palace in Gilgal. There, he held a celebration for the victory over the Amalekites. The nobility of Israel filled the halls of Saul's palace. The food and wine were endless, and the music echoed throughout the cities of Israel. Saul drank and laughed to his heart's content, keeping Agag tied closely to his throne like a dog. Exotic dancers laced the perimeter of his throne room, swaying to the music beside the lampstands. Saul lounged back with a cup in his hand, raising it to his own glory. Miles from Saul's palace, Samuel sat underneath the stars. The biting breeze signaled that winter was fast approaching. Samuel wrapped himself tightly with his robe and shivered. He sensed an uneasiness in the air. The peace of the land had been disrupted, and Samuel could sense the furious heart of God. The prophet closed his eyes and listened. The wind howled across the valley. Amidst the wind and rustling bushes, a voice spoke. I greatly regret Saul's anointing as king. He has turned his back on me and pursued his own glory instead of mine. Samuel was grieved by God's words. He felt the very same pain that the Lord expressed. Samuel had once seen glimmers of light break forth from Saul's heart. He had moments of greatness and humility. However, his pride had taken hold of him like weeds to a garden. Samuel fell to his knees and wept. The wind drowned out the sound of his grief. He had warned the people about anointing a king. However, he did not rejoice in being right. He lamented because of it. His tears turned to frost as they fell on the grass. He knew what he had to do. He had to go and reject the king of Israel. Early the next morning before the sun rose, Samuel departed for Gilgal. The old prophet passed through Carmel. It was dark, and the stillness of morning was refreshing to his soul. As Samuel walked through, he saw a monument hewn from clay. It was large and glorious. Samuel looked at it closely, seeing the engravings at the bottom of the monument. To the glory of King Saul, it read.
Samuel's peaceful demeanor quickly turned to rage. Saul had erected a monument to himself. He truly was a golden calf. Samuel opened the doors of Saul's palace. The throne room reeked of spilt wine and debauchery. Many of his guests were asleep, knocked out from the revelry of the evening. Saul was asleep on his throne with two women at his feet and on his lap. Beside him was King Agag, still tied to rope with his face beaten and bruised. The clamoring of pillaged sheep and oxen echoed from the outside. Samuel stopped in the middle of the room. He looked at the king, then back at the pit of coals resting on an iron stand. Although the flames were gone, the coals still radiated heat. The sound of snoring from the nobles and guards vexed Samuel. He hated that they were sleeping atop the spoils of war that God so clearly told them not to take. Samuel took his staff and slammed it against the iron fire pit. He flipped it over, spilling coals all over the floor. The loud noise awoke everyone in the room, causing a small panic. Saul awoke and saw Samuel standing before him. He threw the women off him and gestured for everyone in attendance to leave. Saul composed himself, adjusted the crown on his head, and smiled. The king walked up to Samuel, beaming with pride. He opened his arms wide and said, Blessed be the name of the Lord, Samuel. I have done what was asked of me. Samuel peered at Saul, trying to discern whether he was lying or truly believed he had obeyed God. Why then do I hear the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen outside? Saul scratched the back of his head and gave a nervous grin. The people brought them in from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. The rest we have surely devoted to destruction. They have been burned to ash with the rest of the land, just as God commanded. In fact, I was just going to prepare everything for you to sacrifice to God. I even... Silence! The king stepped backwards over some spilled coals. The prophet lifted his staff and marched forward towards Saul. I am weary of your lies, Saul, enough of your backpedaling and false holiness. I will tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. Saul gulped in feigned confidence. Speak, he said with a polite gesture. Are you so little in your own eyes that you need to strive for more glory? Samuel asked. The Lord anointed you king of Israel. Was that not enough? You had to march forward and prove your worth, yet you failed. The Lord sent you on a mission. He told you to go and destroy the sinners who oppressed your people. Why did you not obey his voice? Why did you pounce on the spoils of war when God clearly told you not to? Saul's demeanor went from innocence to anger. He puffed out his chest and furrowed his brow. He raised his voice and bellowed. I have obeyed! The declaration echoed across the empty halls. Samuel did not waver at the voice of the king. Although Saul was large and intimidating in stature, he saw him for the small boy he was. Saul continued saying, I marched forward and conquered the people just as God commanded. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, to show our victory. I devoted the entire city to destruction. I have done nothing wrong. It was the people who took the spoil of war. They took the sheep, oxen, gold. Yet I have commanded this day for all of it to be given to God in sacrifice. Saul's chest puffed up and down in anger. Samuel stood upright and grasped his staff firmly. He lifted his head to the king. 
His eyes were piercing. They peered directly into Saul's heart. A chill rushed up Saul's spine. He knew that his false sense of dismay did not fool Samuel. The prophet spoke quietly, yet his words were like nails being driven straight into Saul's chest. Does not the Lord delight in obedience as he does burnt offerings and sacrifices? Behold, it is better in God's sight to obey him and to listen than to sacrifice at the altar. Samuel pressed his staff against a spilled coal. It crunched underneath, causing sparks to pop up. Rebellion is like witchcraft to him, Samuel said. And stubbornness is as sinful to him as idol worship. The prophet walked past Saul and approached the throne. He lifted the furs and the fine purple fabric off in disgust. He tossed it aside and looked at Saul. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul's eyes widened, and he quickly changed his demeanor to desperation. I have sinned, Samuel. I have transgressed against the commands of God. I I feared the people. I obeyed their voice. I should have listened to God instead of them, but I swear it was not my idea. Please, pardon my sins and restore me to God. A chuckle could be heard from the corner of the room. King Agag was still tied up to the side. He scoffed and shook his head at Saul. He was there when Saul gave the command. He knew the truth. Samuel did as well. I will not go anywhere with you, Saul. You have rejected the word of God, and the Lord has rejected you as king. Samuel turned to leave. Saul felt his knees tremble and his throat choke up with tears. He frantically chased Samuel, saying, No, please! Pray with me, Samuel! Saul shouted. The prophet continued to leave. Listen to me, Samuel. You must forgive me. Saul protested. However, Samuel did not look at the king. He continued to walk. Out of complete desperation, Saul seized the back of Samuel's robe and pulled him. The robe tore, exposing part of his back to the cold air. Saul stood there with a piece of the robe in his hand. Samuel turned to the king with sorrow in his eyes. Just as you have torn my robe, so the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you. This kingdom will go to another. God has already chosen him. He is a man that seeks after the heart of God more than the heart of people. Tears fell from Saul's eyes. He fell to the ground and wept at Samuel's feet. Please, Samuel, I have sinned. At least let me pray with you in front of the elders. Samuel allowed the elders to come in, and they all watched as Saul prayed. A snicker could be heard from across the room. Agag was leaning against the cedar pillar, reveling in Saul's shame. Bring him to me, Samuel said. Agag came before the prophet smiling. He was pleased to see the prophet beckon him. Surely, if he was spared by the warrior king, he would be spared by the old priest. Agag held his head high and said, Surely we are past the bitterness of death. Let's be done with this silly thing. Samuel took the end of his staff and jammed it into Agag's stomach. The king kneeled over in pain, groaning. Samuel swung his staff again at Agag's head, causing him to fall completely to the ground. Samuel took Saul's sword right out of his sheath and pointed it towards Agag. He peered down at him and said, Just as your sword has made many women childless, your mother will be childless this day. 
Without warning or pretense, Samuel swung the sword down over Agag's head. The first blow did not kill Agag. The king screamed in pain. His panicked cries filled the air as his blood spilled over the floor. Saul and the elders watched in horrific shock as Samuel hacked the sword downward at Agag. With each blow, Agag's screams grew quieter and quieter until he was dead and cut into pieces. Samuel was out of breath. His face and robes were completely drenched in blood. Without a word, he gave Saul his sword back, picked up his staff, and limped out of the palace. He went back to Ramah and did not return. He would not see Saul again until the day he died. He grieved the fall of Saul. Both he and the Lord were filled with regret. What is the role of a king in God's eyes? We see in Scripture that the king's primary responsibility was making sure God's will was done among the people. He was supposed to deliver the people from their enemies and lead them down a righteous path. The king was held more accountable than others because of his high calling. We will see later on in this series that God will not allow his anointed kings to get away with much. The crown of God comes with expectations, and we have seen Saul continually fall short of those expectations. Episode 4 begins with the story taken from Exodus. The Amalekites were ruthless against the helpless people of Israel, and God promised to avenge them when the time was right. Even though generations had passed since the original crimes of Amalek, their wickedness had abided throughout the years. They were renowned for their cruelty, and God knew the land would be better off if they were wiped out. So who does God call to carry out his vengeance? The king of Israel. It has been a long time since Saul has received any direct message from Samuel, let alone the Lord himself. God is extending another chance to Saul. Let's pause for a moment and consider the goodness of God. As unprecedented and erratic as Saul has become, God is still offering him a chance to do the right thing. Be encouraged that the Lord always has a hand of mercy extended to you, and there is always an opportunity to obey him. This is Saul's chance to rekindle the flame and set himself on the right track. God commands Saul to go against the Amalekites as retribution for their past sins. Saul, as the king of God's nation, is being asked to represent him on the battlefield. This second chance comes at a good time for Saul. He has been spiraling emotionally for years. His soul yearned for some sort of purpose, and now he finally gets the chance to seize the day. Saul gathered his army and galloped to Amalek with passion. To Saul's surprise, he experienced immediate victory. He had almost forgotten what the favor of God felt like. For so long, Saul felt like he was running uphill and against the wind. Everything he did, big or small, seemed exhausting. Fighting with God's favor felt like he was running with the wind at his back, charging downhill. Unfortunately, immediately after his victory, Saul took a dark turn. He fell into the trap of pride once again and confused God's victory with his own. This is a common trap we can all slip into. Just like Saul took credit for Jonathan's victory in the last episode, he was taking credit for God's victory. He let it go to his head and immediately started slipping back into his old tendencies. Agag, the king of the Amalekites, played a part in this. He mocked Saul's validity as king thus poking at Saul's sensitive areas. Saul gave in and did the exact opposite of what God told him to do. 
God told him to wipe everything out. He was told to take no prisoners and take no spoils. Saul disobeyed both of those commands. He took Agag and his riches back to Israel. He paraded them around Israel like trophies and once again chose the praise of the people over obedience to God. If you listen to the story again, you will see Saul talk a lot about his glory. When he faces Agag, he says, you will know my glory, Agag. You will see it expand before your very eyes. When he ordered his men to take Agag's treasure, he said, I want him to watch my glory expand at his expense. Saul can't seem to help himself. He wants his own glory over God's. And that's why he takes Agag and his treasure back to Israel. You may be thinking at this point, what the heck is wrong with Saul? He just can't seem to get out of his own way. Well, let's take a minute to consider our own hearts. We willingly disobey God all the time. But since Saul is a king, the stakes are higher and the focus on him is greater. We must be careful when judging these characters too harshly. They are flawed human beings like you and I. A big difference between Saul and us is the level of scrutiny put on us. If you were the king or queen of Israel, many of your flaws would be put on display for all to see as well. We have stories like Saul's to provide us with wisdom so we don't repeat his mistakes. Saul's glory is short-lived. Samuel comes to face Saul, and it is not a pleasant experience. Samuel is livid. He demands an explanation from Saul, and the king once again refuses to take responsibility for his actions. He blames the people and feigns ignorance, and when that doesn't work, he tries to justify his actions and claims it was for the glory of God. Samuel isn't fooled, and neither is God. Saul is so caught up in the appearance of holiness that he neglected his heart. This is an important theme that will be explored in the next episode. God cares very little about the outward appearance of holiness. To everyone else, Saul seemed to be a good and righteous king, but his heart was consumed with vanity. Samuel once again mentions the promise of a new king. He says, this kingdom will go to another. God has already chosen him. He is a man that seeks after the heart of God more than the heart of people. Samuel has mentioned this mysterious king a few times now. What is the consistent description of this king? He will be a man after the heart of God. This is truly where Saul has fallen short. He wants the heart of the people so badly, but doesn't really seem to care about the heart of God. Saul's outward faithfulness is a sham. It may fool the people, but it doesn't fool God. He has had enough of Saul's vapid and empty religion. When Samuel knocks over the coals and stomps on them, it is an image of a reset. Saul's flame is being snuffed out. It is time for a fresh start. A new king is going to rise up and take the kingdom away from Saul. Samuel declares this to the king, and he begs for forgiveness. It is not a good look for Saul. He whines and begs like a child to no avail. God has made up his mind. The final scene is a gruesome one. Samuel beheads Agag, thus accomplishing the will of God. It was sloppy and unceremonious. But it was done. Samuel cared more about the will of God than any sort of flashy ceremony. Agag was killed just like God wanted. Samuel departs and leaves Saul in darkness. Nobody but Saul and Samuel know that God has rejected him as king. Saul is able to maintain the appearance of holiness, all the while separated from the heart of God. Is this something you can relate to? Do you have the appearance of holiness all the while feeling distant from God? Do you feel trapped by people's perception of you? 
know that there are a thousand second chances given to us in Christ. Seek him and you will find him. Humble yourself and he will lift you up. James tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Saul's life is an example of this principle. The thing that keeps us most distant from God is our pride. If we humbly run back to him, grace is given freely. Consider and pray about these things. I'm confident God will meet you in your wondering. In our next episode, we will finally get to meet the promised king of Israel. Unlike Saul, he doesn't look like a king, but we will come to find out God isn't looking for a king at all. He's looking for a shepherd. Join us next time as we meet the one and only David. Thanks again for listening. For more inspiring stories, daily prayers, and wisdom to last a lifetime, go to Pray.com. If you've enjoyed these podcasts so far, please share it with your family and friends and help us spread God's word.